as the ushers are collecting offering this morning, I just, we're going to go ahead and, and I want to, um, I want to start with a couple of things. Um, many of you, most of you, um, I would imagine are aware of, of what we're talking about, that there was a tragedy with, with a high school student um, who passed away far too soon um, this, this last Thursday, okay? Um, and, and unfortunately, um, that passing, while tragic in and of itself, um, becomes even more problematic by its nature, okay? We're not going to deal exclusively with that, though, this morning. And I know that, that some of you, um, you, you know, are curious and, and desire to know a little bit more, to dig into that more, and I, and I want to understand and respect that. But, but instead today, what I want us to focus on as we move are just a couple of things that we can know, a couple of things that we can be sure of, and a couple of ways that we can move forward, okay? And, and so here's what I'll tell you as we go. Oh, and, and also... Um, Time willing, we're going to deal a little bit with, with anxiety, too. That was our topic for today, and it's very appropriate, anxiety and depression and, and how it all comes together, okay? Um, before we, we do any of that, though, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little disjointed, so if you want to come back in the second service, this will be much more free-flowing. You'll be like, man, it's like he knew exactly what he was going to say the whole time. Um, I also want to do this before we go. I want to acknowledge um, our staff um, who you should be, you should feel blessed um, that they labor and minister on your behalf. Um, and that's always been evident to me, but never more so than in this last few days, um, that they labor um, on your behalf and, and wrestle for the sake of the gospel. Um, in this community. And so we want to thank them. And then on top of that, there have been a lot of volunteers that have stepped in to space. Like we had the Revolution Building open all day yesterday um, for kids to come and gather and just be in a safe place where they could be in community with one another and, and just grieve together. And many, many, many took advantage of that. It was open for fifth quarter on, on Friday night and many took advantage of that. And we have volunteers that are so gracious that they're going to go after the funeral service today and open it up again for those that don't have a place to be where they can just come and grieve in community together. And that's the ministry of the church. And it matters. So I want to thank them. And, and I want to take a minute too. And, and I know between two services that we're kind of spread out, but I know we have a lot of school staff here. Okay. We have a, we have a lot of school staff here. And I want to do two things. One is I want to encourage you. And I want to just acknowledge your grief too. I know it, 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 it's heavy. And then the other thing I want to do is I want to commission you. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ. As you go back into the schools. As you go back into this ministry field where, um, where hurt and pain are thick. I want to encourage you to go and minister well. I want to commission you to, to wrestle for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that space. I want you to know that, that over the last few days, those of you um, that call Blessed Hope Community Church home and work in schools that I've prayed for you, I've, I've prayed for you collectively, I've prayed for you individually, and, and that I and the staff will continue to do that as we know this will be a difficult place and you'll be on the front lines uh, of a lot of ministry um, and healing that needs to take place. So you don't do that alone. We're with you in that. 
Okay, and I would encourage the rest of the church to come alongside with that as well. What we're not going to do is, is linger a whole lot on why evil happens. We know evil happens. Um, we've, we've talked, if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, we've discussed this um, at length. We know that we live in a broken, fallen world. And the fact that we serve a good God does not negate the fact that the world is broken. There are a couple things that I, I would say to you uh, as way of reminder before we jump too far in. It's this. Listen, God is not silent to the question of pain, suffering, and evil, as many of us are wont to think he is. In moments like this, when tragedy happens, whether it's public tragedy like this or tragedy in our own lives, we tend to sit back and we tend to think, well, God is silent when it comes to pain and evil and suffering. And I want to tell you that no, no, he is not. See, God has an answer for evil. God has an answer for pain. God has an answer for suffering. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to live and to suffer a sinner's death, even though he did not deserve it. To go through pain and, and torture and suffering and separation from God. Why? As an answer. Jesus came as an answer for the evil and the pain and the suffering that we're dealing with now. God is not silent when it comes to this issue. God sent Jesus Christ to deal with this issue. And Jesus Christ has dealt with this issue. And now we are struggling to live in the in-between time of God's answer in Christ and God's finality that will come at the end of all things. God has answered evil, pain, and suffering in this world through the person of Christ, through the suffering on the cross, through his death and his ultimate resurrection. And there is coming a day, I promise you, where God will definitively wipe out, judge with finality, evil, pain, and suffering, where pain will be erased, where tears will be no more, where it will be gone for good. In this space, trust in his provision in Christ and look forward with anticipation to what's to come. Two, what we deal with now, while heavy and hard, will pale in comparison to the glory that's to come. We've talked about this before, right? But you remember the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Right? He woke up. We went to bed with gum in his mouth, and he woke up with gum in his hair. He slipped on his skateboard, dropped his sweater in the sink while the water was running. There was no toy in his breakfast cereal. He didn't get to sit by a window in the carpool. Right? It was a bad day. It was a day. Right? And so if that happens on January 1st and every other day that Alexander deals with is good and right and joy-filled, at the end of the year, he's not going to say it was all ruined because of that day. We are going to spend eternity, eternity in glory. 
and what feels heavy now, and it is heavy, I don't mean to make light of it, it is heavy, but what is heavy now will pale in comparison to the glory that's to come. For those of us that are in Christ, our eternity and our glory is sure. This moment sucks. But this moment will pale in comparison to that one. And that one will never end. Here's the last thing I want to remind you with when it comes to evil and pain and suffering in the world, and it's this. God isn't being slow. Like, he sent Jesus, now he's waiting for the end of all things. Why won't he just hurry up? God's not being slow. The word very clearly tells us that he's being patient. Not for his own sake, but for ours. God is being patient because there are people that we know and there are people that we love and the people that we know and love need to know and respond to Jesus Christ. God is being patient for our sake. So here's my encouragement to you. Redeem the time that you're given. Don't waste it. All right. So let's go ahead and kick that on. And um, we're in the middle of our series. We're actually getting to the close of our series dealing with um, mental and emotional health and how it intersects with faith and what God has to say about that. And uh, while we're not going to jump right into anxiety yet, there's a couple of things I want to encourage you in. I, I do want to say this, that, that um, God's weird, Right? And so it's no surprise to us that as we struggle with these things as a community, that he's asking us as his church in this place to labor in them together. I mean, I hope that you've made that connection. That as God is knowing and God is understanding what the community is struggling with and dealing with, he said, okay, church, prepare yourselves. Labor in this together. And that's what we've been doing, and that's what I hope that you've been doing and will continue to do so that we can be light for the community that we live in and minister in, right? And today is hard, and, and I just want to stop here for a second. We've talked about lament. We've talked about lament. We've talked about feeling with faith, and we just—this is what David says. Have compassion on me, Lord, because I'm weak. My, uh, heal me. My bones are in agony. I mean, this is poetry. He's not talking about he's, this literal ache of bones. He's not talking about arthritis here. He's talking about grief and pain that is so overwhelming that he's wasting away. And he clarifies, I'm sick in my heart because of pain and longing and suffering. And, and, and here, here's... Here's the feeling behind that. And I am done. I'm done. Have compassion on me, Lord, because I am weak and I'm wasting away and I'm in agony and I'm sick in my heart and I can't stand up under it a second longer. How long? Until you restore me. How long until you make it right? Listen, feel with faith. Prayers of lament matter. And this is the space that we're in together. 
And one of the things that I want to I want to talk to you about this morning too, as as we move on in this, is I just want to share with you some thoughts um, about what to do in your grief and what to do with other people's grief. How do we grieve well, and what do we do for one another in that? Okay, and uh, you want to go ahead, John, and show that video. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. All right. What we're talking about here, when we talk about grief and struggling from a biblical perspective, is we're talking about something called empathy. Okay? And the thing with empathy is that, here's what you need to understand. It's God's idea. Empathy, um, we get this, this thing in our culture. By the way, that was Brene Brown. I, I will give her credit for, for her thing. Brene Brown is a, um, an educational researcher. She's a, a licensed clinical social worker, uh, uh, University of Houston, I believe. Anyway, um, she's done a lot of research on empathy and some of those things that go into healthy relationships. And, and one of the things that matters, though, here is that we understand empathy matters, and empathy matters because it's God's idea. But we have to understand, as Christians, we have to understand what it is that God God's calling us to do in that space. 
Romans 12, 15 says it pretty easily, right? It's so simple. Hey, here's what you do. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's it. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's awfully simple. But this is the epitome of empathy. Putting yourself where someone else is. But can I tell you, this is so countercultural. It's so countercultural because this means that we make something about somebody else. And the first thing we want to do, Carrie tells me this all the time when we're having a discussion. Usually it's, it's a discussion. Um, but, but I'll say something. She'll be like, hey, hey, maybe just once this isn't about you. Okay. And she's right. But at least I can take solace in knowing that I'm not alone in that. Because that's something that we do. Right? We make things about us. And, and here God's telling us through, through the Apostle Paul, way back um, in, in Romans chapter 12, hey, I have an idea. How about it's not about you? How about you let it be about somebody else? And you rejoice with those who rejoice. And then you mourn with those who mourn. Right? And you, you I mean, we, we frame this for kids in elementary school, right? Like we, we, we put ourselves in other people's shoes. What if? What if that were my family? How would I feel? What would I want? How would I respond? Right? But, but what, I love, what I love about the video, and the reason I showed you the video, is because there's something that we do that, that, that's tragically awful, but it comes from a great place. And so here's what I never want us to do as Christians, right? As Christians, I never, I never want us to, with gospel intention good intention. Enter into something and then in the name of Jesus Christ, make it worse. But I'm afraid we do that sometimes. We go with great gospel intention in the name of Jesus because we love people and we want to comfort and we want to encourage and we want to be there for people. And then we do or say something that actually is contrary to what we should do or say. That's why I enjoy the video because, you know, it's this idea that, you know what, sometimes it, it's not on you to make it better. Because listen to me, listen, 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 listen. It's not on you to make it better because you're not God. And oftentimes in tragedy, there is nothing that you can do or say that will make it better. A lot of times we search for magic words. We search for magic words so we know what to say to people in that moment. And sometimes there are no magic words. It's just as simple as acknowledging, yeah, this is bad. And it's no good. And, it, and I don't have an answer. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. I know God's good, but I can't explain this. Sometimes we step in right away and we want to, you know, she used the verb, silver lining it. We want to make it better. But that's not it. It's not the space we're in. And you know what this is? We talk about empathy, and, and that's just the fancy word, but really all we're talking about? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so I'll tell you this. Sometimes the best thing you can do, Christian, and please don't take offense to this, because the best thing you can do, Matt, 
is just shut up. Sometimes the best thing I can do is just shut up. There, there were things that, that um, and conversations and things that have happened um, with the Betterton family that, that are kind of in a sacred space between them. Um, but, but I will say this, because this is personally about me, but, but, but showing up to, um, to provide comfort and encouragement, there, there, is, there is something that I prayed continuously um, on the way to their home, and, and that was over and over again, okay, God, like, I don't know what to say, so you tell me what to say. Give me the words that you want me to say to encourage um, and, and be Jesus to this family, because I don't know what that is. You tell me. This is my constant prayer on the way to the home, and it's my constant prayer getting out of the car and walking up the drive, and it's my constant prayer as I walk over. And, and you know what the words were? They were nothing. They were nothing. I had nothing. God gave me nothing. And you know what? That was best. Job's friends. Oh, that's the one. Job's friends. We don't like Job's friends a lot when we read the book of Job because they do some stupid things in the name of connection. They do some stupid things. But, but here's something that they do well. Begin, happens at the beginning. Job 2, when they saw, there's, there's four friends coming. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. He was so heartbroken and in such turmoil. They scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes. They threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. And get this, no one said a word to Job. For they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Sometimes, Christian, it's just a matter of sharing space. They wailed because they, his grief became their grief. You know what this is? Listen, this is just friendship. Oh. Share each other's burdens. And in this we obey the law of Christ. This is a command that Paul gives in Galatians through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, church, inside the body of, the, uh, of Christ, inside the church, this is what you're to do. And oh, by the way, it works outside the church too. But share each other's burdens because when you do that, you obey the law of Christ. Sometimes when we share each other's burdens, we get confused about what that means because here's the problem. We like to fix it. And if we can't fix it, you know what we tend to do? We tend to withdraw because it makes us feel uncomfortable and it makes us feel bad. It makes us feel inadequate. It challenges our worth. So sometimes when we can't fix it, and by the way, when we try to fix it, what we're doing is, is we're making it about us, right? So we try to fix it, and when we can't fix it, we just tend to back off. But Paul says, no, 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 no. No, you don't get to back off, Christian. You don't get to walk away feeling bad about yourself because you can't fix it. You have to live in that uncomfortable space. Bear one another's burdens in whatever way you can, in whatever way you have to. That is how you obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love each other well. As Christ loved us, he gave himself up for us. You can be uncomfortable for a minute. When somebody grieves, you step into that space. You don't have to fix it, but you do have to live there. You have to risk. You know who does this really well? Our teenagers. Um, David and Shauna and I had the privilege with some other pastors being at the high school 
on Friday. And then um, many people volunteered to, to spend time at the Revolution Building yesterday so that kids could come and gather. And you know what they didn't want? You know what kids didn't want? They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to talk to David. A lot of them wanted to talk to Shauna. So we'll give her that. But all they wanted was to be with each other. And oftentimes as they sat with each other, they didn't say a word. Maybe they'd cry. Maybe they'd hug. Maybe somebody would tell a joke. Maybe somebody would share a memory. But for the most part, they just sat. They just sat together. They were comfortable in that space. Listen, we ought to be too. If this isn't something we excel at, then I'm not sure what we have to offer in moments like this. Because it's born in suffering with someone in obeying the law of Christ in that way, in loving unconditionally, in the muck and in the gunk and in the mud, and doing that, what's born from that is my ability to share that there is a God of the universe that loves and cares for you deeply and has an answer for your pain. But I can't go there first. You can't go there first. You gotta live here. friendship. It matters. Ultimately, ultimately, it's just about friendship. It's what we do. Now, in a little bit of time that I have still, I do want to talk to you a little bit about depression and anxiety some more, because one, that's, that's, that's as we continue in our series, that's where we're at, and two is I think it's absolutely critically appropriate as we relate to this. We want to talk about... Um, how to, how, to, how to struggle through anxiety a little bit. Um, and we want to talk about how to, how to struggle through depression a little bit. And so um, we're going to deal with that. But, but I just want to pause here for a second and just say, when it comes to processing with people that grieve, be comfortable being uncomfortable. We had a podcast not that long ago. Uh, it was uh, some of our staff and... Uh, um, Lisa Martyr joined us, and, and Elise Helzer is a therapist in the community. She's over there if you want to talk to her. Um, she, she joined us as well. And in that podcast, um, I think Elise said something that, that I think we, we, we tiptoed around, but we hadn't said it quite so eloquently, and it was just that. Be comfortable um, being uncomfortable. So when you're around people that grieve, be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's okay. You don't have to fix it. And fight the urge to go away when you can't. Just be like Job's friends. Just sit. Go back to the video. I, 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 you know, I appreciate how that wraps up with just, just the simple, like, look, here's the deal. I don't know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. And just fuel connection in that way because there will be a moment born from that. Born from that toiling together, that grieving together. There will be a moment born from that suffering together where the gospel will have its way. But it's born in that. Right? That's why we didn't, when, when, when we went to the high school and we sat with kids that, that, that were just sitting together and grieving and we were creating space for them or when we created space at the Revolution Building, we didn't say, hey, okay, thanks. I'm glad you guys were here. Before you go, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. 
No, we just, we're just there. There will be a moment born from that that, that that will earn us the privilege of saying, look, God has something for you. But it's not yet. All right. When it comes to anxiety, though, it's usually rooted in a couple of things. Anxiety is uneasiness about something that's going to come in the future. We're uncertain about the outcome. It's happening in the future, and we're uneasy. And it's got two characteristics that are always true. It's always rooted in fear, and it's always focused on the future. Now, here's the thing about anxiety. Um, Anxiety is actually not... Okay, you can argue with me later. Anxiety isn't sinful. And some of you are going to say, wait a minute, time out. I remember reading in Philippians 4, 6 um, that we are commanded to be anxious about nothing, right? But instead to be thankful about everything. And so we get to this point where we're like, okay, Matt, we want to argue with you about you said anxiety isn't sinful. The Bible says don't do it. So there's tension there. I get that. I'm also going to say this. Fear is not necessarily sinful. But yet we're commanded over 200 times in Scripture to not be afraid. Here's the tension I want you to understand in that. Being anxious is actually a God-given quality that can serve you well if you use it appropriately. It is not something to live in. It is something to use for your benefit. Fear, right? is not something that um, is sinful to have. He says, don't be afraid. And the reason for that is because he does not want you, God does not want you to live in fear. God does not want you to be paralyzed by anxiety and fear. Right? But there are times that being afraid is wise. Right? I'm walking down the street. There's a guy over here in a hockey mask and a machete. I'm going to go the other way. Healthy fear serves me well. Avoiding that street for the rest of my life, even though my grandma lives on it, because of that fear, is paralyzing. When God says, don't be afraid, he's not saying, don't don't ever feel the feeling of fear. What he's saying is, don't be paralyzed by it. When he says, don't be anxious, he's not saying anxiety in and of itself, the feeling is always sinful. He's saying you can't be paralyzed by it. Some parents, listen, parents right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because of what's happened, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The anxiety of what if that were my situation is actually a healthy anxiety. It's a healthy fear, right? And it causes you to do something because of it. It causes you to hold your kids a little tighter. It causes you to have hard conversations with them. Right? It causes you to dig in in your relationship as a parent. That's good. If that turns into paralyzing, then it's not. 
right? You get the difference, right? So, so what we see is with anxiety is, is what happens is this healthy thing all of the sudden, because it's rooted in fear and it's focused on the future and it's healthy, but all of a sudden it turns into something that paralyzes and causes disorder instead of something that is helpful for us. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get stuck there. Right? And so there are a couple of things that I think uh, when it comes to anxiety and depression, and we're just going to go through these quickly. Uh, we'll linger a little bit on the last one, but there's a couple of things that um, we can know, some, some factors that will help us be healthy. And so this is not a, this is not a treatment guide, right? But, but in this space, I want to give you some thoughts for you, for your family, for your kids, for whatever. I want to give you some thoughts about how to proceed, okay, when it comes to depression and anxiety. Factor one is physical. I feel really stupid talking to you about this one. But here we are. This is the space we find ourselves in. Um, Some would call this irony. I would just call it cruel. But here's the deal. One, if you're feeling anxious, perhaps. It's not a catch-all. It's not going to solve every problem. But if you struggle with anxiety, maybe... Three pots of coffee a day is not a great idea. Cut down on the spark. Maybe choose 7-Up instead of Mountain Dew. Sleep. Sleep. You know, when you're sleeping, that's, that's your body's natural time. That's your brain's natural time to release serotonin. Serotonin is the hormone that fights depression and anxiety. Your body releases that when you sleep. When you don't sleep, your body's not releasing serotonin, right? So your body's not naturally fighting anxiety and depression. Sleep. Um, Good studies tell us that back in in the 1900s, 100 years ago, right? Back in like like 1908, 1910, around that time, um, the average amount of sleep for adults in this country was nine hours a night. Those same studies tell us that in this day, actually it was like two years ago. So two years ago, it's probably worse now. Two years ago, the average amount of sleep for adults was six hours. Listen, that is a third less serotonin. I assume that matters, right? You should too. This one really sucks. Exercise? The American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Psychological Association all list physical exercise. They cite that as a first line of defense, first line of treatment against depression and anxiety. I'm not qualified to speak further on that, so go talk to somebody that's not here today because they're running a marathon or whatever. I got nothing. I just know it matters. Okay? Oh, physical factor, the last thing I want you to know about that. Sometimes we talked about this, but I can't reiterate it enough. Sometimes there is brain chemistry that's not working the way that it's supposed to. Sometimes there are chemical issues that have very little to do with sleep. Right? Sometimes we need medication to balance hormones and chemicals. And there is, from, from the Christian faith, from reading the word very carefully, from understanding who God is, there is nothing unbiblical or unchristian about taking medication 
are using medication. And I would love to talk to you more about that if you have heard something different or have a different view, but, but I, I can tell you that I've read the Bible pretty carefully, and that's not there. So sometimes we need it, and sometimes it's permanent, sometimes we need it as a bridge, but if we need it, then, then we benefit. Okay, the psychological factor. Here's the deal with the psychological factor. Sometimes um, a, a buddy coming alongside of you and sitting in your brokenness is enough. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes, though, there's more. Sometimes we need to dig in, right? We, why are things the way they are? What's happening here? You know, a lot of times there's family of origin things that come with us, and there's generational things. Bible talks about that as generational sin. The sins of the father, you know, impact the next generation because what I do in this, in my space, in my home, the way I am, well, guess what? That's going to impact my kids. And then it's going to influence the way they are. And then guess what? It's going to impact my grandkids because it's going to influence the way that happens. And sometimes we need to take a step back and we need to look psychologically. Are things the way they are? This is where counseling can matter a lot. Remember, see, see, if you're seeing counselors, we've talked about this. Christian counseling is the way to go. Um, a counselor that shares your faith and your worldview, right? Counseling is all about helping you change your perspective and seeing things from a different way. If that's the case, then I want you to see a counselor that's going to, to try to help you change your perspective and see the world in a different way, in a way that honors Christ, okay? But counseling, sometimes counseling is really necessary here. And you've got to take thoughts captive, there are a lot of lies of the enemy and there's a lot of truth of Christ and we have to wrestle in the space where we take captive and we dismiss the lies that Satan gives us and we step into the truth that Christ gives us. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we take every thought captive to make it obedience to Christ. Everything is terrible and it's all gonna end poorly. No, 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 I can take that thought captive and I know, no, God is gracious and kind and he is in control. This is so heavy. This burden is too much. It's just going to crush me. No, 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 no. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? You take every thought captive. The social factor, we just talked about empathy and relationships. So I don't need to reiterate this. I'm just going to tell you this. Don't do this alone. Christian, you were not intended to do life alone. Be in community. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Just fix it. Go to Ecclesiastes, would you, John? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Here's what it says, right? If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. There is a relational social factor that you, need to, that you need to understand. You need to do life with people in this way. You don't need to be by yourself. And can I challenge you? I mean, I'm going to acknowledge that we're talking about grief and the weight of this. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But you just don't feel it quite as acutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't feel the weight of this as significantly as somebody else does, that's not wrong. We're all different. 
right? You're not dead inside. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. If you don't feel the weight of this as significantly as someone else, that's okay. But here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would tell you. Then walk with somebody who feels it heavily, right? Because two have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, the other can help them up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. Don't, don't let that happen on your watch. And then the spiritual factor. Listen, you want to win against anxiety and depression in your life in any way, shape, or form. And winning sometimes means total victory. And winning sometimes means winning the day. Winning the week. Winning the month. Right? Sometimes it's total victory. Sometimes that's not what we mean when we say win. But if you want to win, listen, you need to walk with Jesus. I have no idea. I have no idea how people try to win against anxiety and depression that don't walk with Jesus. It seems doomed to fail. It is um, not the only factor. That's why we discussed the other three first. They matter. They matter. But this is the most important factor. If you want to win, you need to walk with Jesus. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, so do me a favor. Everybody close your eyes. I don't want to skip ahead that far. No, that's the one I wanted. That's it. Okay, you can open your eyes. Did that work? Was that like magic for you? You're like, I don't even know what he was doing up here when I closed my eyes. All of a sudden, it's just perfect. Second service will flow a little bit better. You stick around. Um, anyway, here, here's the deal. Jesus says this at some point um, in his ministry. It's the beginning, and, and he's starting his public phase of his ministry, and he, and he comes into the synagogue, and he opens the scroll, and he reads this, talking about himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to me. This is Jesus Christ. We talk about depression. We talk about anxiety. We talk about living in a space. And, and, and what I want you to know is that Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to set the captives free. I don't know. I'm not sure where your struggle is. I'm not sure if your struggle is on behalf of other people or if your struggle is very personal to you right now, I don't know what it is for you for sure. Some of you I know, but, but the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is what Jesus says, because he has anointed me. Jesus says, I have been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news is the gospel. He has sent me. God has sent Jesus to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the captives free, because this is the year of the Lord's favor right? This is the truth. And so as we get ready to enter into communion, this is what I want you to live in, right? Don't be ashamed of your brokenness, but don't be captive to it either. Don't be ashamed of it. We live in this broken world, and in a broken world, broken things happen, but don't be captive to it because Jesus came to set the captives free, and that's what we celebrate when we go to communion. Ask the elders to come up and prepare to serve and 
Um, praise team can come up. At, but, but here's what I want to say as we get ready to take communion and close, that, that Jesus has come to set captives free. And because of that, you do not need to be held captive by your brokenness. Because of that, you do not need to live there. Don't be ashamed of the things in your life that are broke. But don't be captive to them. Don't think they always have to be and don't think that God doesn't care. Because here's my promise for you. God absolutely cares. Jesus came for us. Jesus came to heal brokenness. Jesus came to set us free. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you that, that we don't have to be ashamed of our brokenness, but because of the cross of Christ, we do not have to be captive to it either because you have come to set the captives free. Father, as we, um, as we take communion today, I, I pray that you will impress upon us and that you will remind us of the sacredness of what we're about to do that as we eat the bread, that you will remind us in our heart of hearts that, that you sent your very son who willingly gave up his life for us. You have an answer to evil and it is the willingness of your son to die for us. Father, and ultimately that, that as he bled for us, that he ushered in this new covenant where we have this new relationship with you, where we are now sons and daughters of God. Father, we thank you for that truth. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And, and we, just, we, just, we just ask you to help. Help us in our time of, of grieving and, and trouble and help us as we take communion to remember that we are not alone, but that you're with us. Amen.